When you think about freedom, what image comes to mind? What does freedom look like to you? I suspect that it has something to do somewhere in our thinking of being able to do what we want to do. Having the ability to go where we want to go, say what we want to say. It, that is, in, in a sense, the very definition of freedom. That we are not held in bondage by anything. We don't have restrictions. We are free. I did a little searching this week about various things people have to say about freedom. And while they were across the board, the majority of what people said had to do with, I'm able to do whatever I want to do. And that tends to be, in one way or another, our view of freedom. And I think, in one sense, Paul would affirm that in this letter to the Galatians. He has been talking about freedom off and on throughout this letter. I think it is one of the key threads that you see through the letter. In the first four and a half chapters, Paul is saying, you're free. You don't have to be in bondage. As, as folks from some of the people from the Jerusalem church have come and said to them, uh, you, have to, you have to embrace and fulfill every element of the law, of the Old Testament law and all the laws that we've made about the Old Testament law. If you want to be a, a true believer, you have to embrace all of that first before you can become a Christian. And if you don't do that, then you will always be second class, third class Christian. And Paul says to them, that's heresy. No. The gospel is not about obeying the law. It's about freedom in Christ. And over and over again, he keeps saying to them, you're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. And then you get to verse 13 of chapter 5. And he says, you are free in Christ. Now, be careful not to use your freedom selfishly. Be careful not to use your freedom to live selfishly. Because as we find through the rest of this section and what we read today, Paul says people who live selfishly, people who think of freedom in a selfish way, end up living their lives in such a way that what comes out of it is not good things, but sinful things. And so he says in verses 19 to 21, the acts of the sinful nature are these. And he has this whole list. And it's not exhaustive because he gets to the end and he says, and other things like that. He's trying to set the tone for them. These are the things that, are, that come from a life that thinks of freedom selfishly. And he says the, uh, the acts of the sinful nature, the desires of your sinful nature, they're obvious. Somebody who has been spending their, spent their life following the law is going to look at a list like this and say, you're right, they are obvious. Particularly the ones about sexual immorality and the ones about idolatry and the ones about witchcraft and the ones about drunkenness. Because all of those things, even in most segments of society, have some negative connotations. What intrigues me about this list is where Paul puts the majority of his emphasis. Because the greatest number of things that Paul talks about here are relationship things. Envy, jealousy, fits of rage. 
divisions. Paul talks a lot about how we relate to each other. And I suspect for them and maybe for us, that's not always as obvious as some of the other sins. We often, we, you know, we categorize the sins. And so we will often say, well, these, some of these things, they, now that's really sin. Everybody knows that. These other things, well, you know, these, they happen. What are you going to do? No. Paul is saying, when you use your freedom selfishly, these things will come out of you. And it includes, in some sense, all of these things are ways of, of getting what we want from other people. They're ways of acting selfishly toward other people. I have freedom. I can, I can show bits of rage to you. I can be jealous of you. I can be envious of you. I can, I can put you down. I can be divisive among you and somebody else because I can do what I want. And Paul says, these are not things that are going to lead you to good places with God. In fact, the people who do these things don't even inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there because he then he moves on and says, but let me show you what you should be doing. Let me show you what a life that is lived in the right kind of freedom looks like. And he calls it the fruit of the spirit. And he says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What's he really describing here? What he's really describing is, is the nature of of Jesus. This, this, he's really described, if you were to take a microscope and, and look at the DNA, the spiritual DNA of Jesus, this is what you would see. This is who Jesus is, and this, which means that this is who God is. And of course, if the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of Jesus is living in us, then this is what's going to come out of us. And you'll notice he doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit, which means it's thought, you have to think of it a little bit differently than we do the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, that is plural. And he says to various churches, you all have different gifts. Some of you have the gift of administration or teaching or encouragement or help. And, and you take the gift that God's given you and you, we bring it together and, and the church serves one another in the world. We all have these different gifts that we unite together. But here he's saying, this is not something, you don't look at it that way. It's not as though he's saying to us, okay, some of you have the fruit of gentleness, and some of you have the fruit of self-control, and some of you have the fruit of, of kindness, and some of you have the fruit of joy, and we're going to bring it all together. This is, this is who Jesus is. And in a sense, he's saying, you either bear this fruit or you don't bear this fruit. Because it is the result of the Spirit in us. It, you, can't just sep- you can't separate it out. It is, it is the nature and the character of Christ. And when I think about this list, when I think about the fact that it is fruit being produced in us, there's a part of me that feels like we are just, in a sense, sort of passive bystanders in this. The Spirit lives in us and the fruit gets produced. And there really isn't a lot we are going to do about it. We just... Let the fruit be produced. And there is some truth to that. I mean, that's sort of how things grow. This past spring, Cindy and I decided to try our hand at planting some stuff. We've tried this other times and 
hasn't gone so well. But uh, so we decided this year we would try it again, and we have some pots on the porch, big pots, and so we planted beans and tomatoes and some herbs and. And I love peppers, and so I we were at I think we were at Home Depot buying seeds, and so I thought, well, that looks interesting, that looks interesting, and I'm just grabbing different peppers. So we plant them. Who would have known they came up and they grow? And I mean, a lot of them. I mean, who would have guessed? I mean, I was thinking about you know they don't. I mean, the whole point was well, they don't cost that much for the seeds, so we got nothing to lose, and they actually have produced. And these peppers have just gone crazy. And what I didn't realize is how hot habanero peppers are. Wow, they are hot. After the fact, I read that they're a hundred times hotter than jalapenos. I don't know how they measure that kind of thing, but there's this whole scale of the hotness of peppers. So actually, and actually, they've got this plant there that's probably got 30 balls of habanero peppers ready to be picked. If you like them, let me know. I will give you them. I will give them to you. You know, it's gratifying to see that stuff grow. And every day we're out like, oh, there's another bud. There's another one coming on. We didn't make that grow. I didn't make that grow. I, I didn't have anything to do with those plants producing. On one hand. On the other hand, there would have been no plants if I hadn't have initiated it. If I hadn't have put the soil in the pot and put in the miracle grow and watered it and planted the seeds and kept track of it and pruned it and watered it some more, pulled a few weeds every so often. The reality is when you grow things like that, there is there's a combination of things going on. It is the work that we do and it's the natural processes of what God has put into the world. And any farmer worth their stuff would tell you that. And the fruit of the Spirit is the same thing. We don't produce the fruit. Our responsibility is to prepare the soil of our lives so that fruit can grow. It's the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 8 of the sower who goes out and just scatters seed arbitrarily and some of it falls on, on a path that's beaten down. And some of it falls in rocky soil. And some of it falls among the weeds. And none of those seeds grow. They all die. But some of it falls on good soil. And that soil, Jesus says, the seeds grow into plants and they produce fruit. There's no difference in the seeds. The difference is the soil. And I think Paul is saying to us, if you want the fruit of the Spirit to come out of your life, you have to prepare and nourish and cultivate the soil of your life. I think he says to us that one of the ways we do that is that we crucify our yearning for the sinful nature. In verse 24... He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. What intrigues me about that is that he doesn't say Jesus nails our sinful desires to the cross. He says we do that. It's a conscious choice that we make to say, even though I struggle with my sinful nature, even though I wrestle with giving into my sinful nature... Deep down in the, in the deepest recesses of my being, 
I really want to let go of them. He's really talking about the want to in our hearts. It is saying, I I don't want to yearn for those things because I know that they lead to destruction. I know they lead me away from what God created me to be. I want to let go of them. We will spend all of our lives wrestling with letting go of various elements of our sinful nature until Jesus returns and he sets up his kingdom and everything is made right. But we can have victory as we go through our journey. John Wesley talked about the image of of nailing something live to a cross and cutting it off from the source of its power and watching it shrivel and die. And I think Paul is saying, do you want that to happen? Are you at a place where you, you want your freedom to not be about you? You're willing to let go. You're willing to, your desire is, your want to is to be free from those yearnings of a sinful nature. And yes, we all have, we're, gonna, we're on a journey. We all struggle. But what are we journeying toward? Are we making progress? Are we letting go? Is our yearning changing? And Paul also says in the next verse in 25, that it's not just about the negative Nailing that to the cross, but it's the positive of following the leading of the Holy Spirit in every area of life. It's not enough to say, I want to get rid of these things that are negative. It's just as important to say, I want to replace that with what is positive. I want to follow the leading of the Spirit. I want to live in openness to the Spirit. I want to live my life in such a way that I hear the Spirit when the Spirit speaks. And I respond positively when the Spirit nudges. My eyes are open to the promptings of the Spirit. And not just when I'm doing spiritual things, but every moment of life. Because God is at work in every moment of life. And the Spirit speaks to us in every moment of life. In order to have that kind of openness to God, there, I think this is where the spiritual disciplines play such a huge role. The spiritual disciplines of reading scripture, of prayer, of corporate worship. Spiritual disciplines of generosity and service. All of the spiritual disciplines create an atmosphere in our hearts that make us more and more sensitive and open to the Spirit. It's one of the reasons we keep doing these prayer vigils. Because it gives us an opportunity together to step back from all the busyness of life and, and, to, and to pray. The first year we did the vigil, and we asked, if you're not familiar, we asked people to reserve at least one hour of time in the prayer room to pray. And most of us were thinking, what are we going to do for an hour praying? We're not used to that kind of time commitment to prayer. But almost to a person that I talked to says, man, that hour went so fast, it wasn't enough. 
Because there is something about stepping back, something about, about taking time to listen to God, to experience God, to, to let God speak to us. That is vital to creating the kind of soil in which the fruit of the Spirit can be produced. I think there is something related to this of what Paul says in verse 21 about those who, who do the acts of the sinful nature and how they do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I think what Paul is, is saying, is he's not, he's not setting down a law, he's not being judgmental, he's, he's not being a prude about things that we wrestle with. He's simply saying, when these things come out of a person's life, it's because that person has decided that their freedom is about self. And that means their life is about self. And when your life is about self, then you really don't want the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is all about God. It is all about, when we, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, when we think about the kingdom of God, when we think about what heaven will be, the question is not, I, I wonder... I wonder what heaven will be like and how I might have an influence on it. The question, really the statement is, heaven is God's nature. Heaven is the fulfillment of who God is, all the priorities of God, all the motivations of God. Everything that God is, that is the kingdom. And so Paul is simply saying, if you've lived your life for yourself now, why would you think you'd want to live for God for all eternity? It is people who live their lives with the desire for the op- to be open to the Spirit, who live with the desire to, to crucify our, our yearning for a sinful nature to the cross. It is that kind of spirit that says, I, despite my failings, what I want deep in my being is, is the Spirit in me. I want the DNA of Christ in me. Then the most natural thing in the world is that for eternity we would experience the fullness of that. When he gets to verse 26, Paul sort of takes these two elements of crucifying and following and, and puts them together and says, you know, this is really all really a relational kind of thing I'm talking about here. Again, the majority of what he said was a sinful nature was relational. And now the fruit of the Spirit is certainly relational. And he says, you have to choose to decide how you're going to understand who you are. Do you see your value based on how you compare yourself to someone else? Or is your value based in the grace of God given to you? When, when our freedom is about self, we can't help but have moments of conceit and jealousy. And we're going to continually provoke each other. Because what's most important? Me. It's most important that people know how great I am. It's most important that I understand myself in relation to other people. And they're better than me, so I'm jealous of them. Or they have things that I don't have, and so I'm envious of them. And we keep provoking each other. But when the Spirit lives in us... We understand in deeper ways the grace of God to us. And I have yet to find someone who has a, who has a, a, a good grasp 
of their life owing to the grace of God who is not generous and gentle and kind and faithful. Because when you understand that everything good in your life is about the grace of God, then you just want more and more of God's grace in you. It's what Paul is saying, again, back to chapter 2, verse 20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. And what's fascinating is when you live with an understanding in the spirit of God's grace, you begin to flourish. You begin to live life as you were created to live it in all the fullness of of what God intended us to be. And we live in joy and peace and we have life. And we we get bigger and we become more fully human as God created us to be. But the opposite is also true. When you live for self, you don't get bigger, you get smaller. You become less human. Because when life is wrapped up in me, that's a pretty small existence. I've been fascinated for a while at how often... Trees are mentioned in Scripture. Every so often I think, I should do a series of sermons about the trees in the Bible. Maybe I'll do that sometime. But but you see trees from beginning to end, and particularly you see talk about fruit-bearing trees. In Genesis 1-11, in creation story, uh, the writer talks about God creating these fruit-bearing trees. And that's his desire, to create trees that bear fruit on earth. And you get to the end of it and it says, that's exactly what happened. And God says, that's good. And then you move to the middle of the scripture in the very first psalm. The psalm that sets the tone for all the rest of the psalms. And, and the psalmist says, blessed are those who, who trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who, whose trust is God. What do they happens to them? They are like a tree planted by a river of water, and they bear fruit. And then you get to the very last chapter of the very last book. And John says, I looked, and before me I saw a river that ran from the throne of God. And on each side of the river was a tree of life. And that tree bore fruit. And its leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. When I read that, I, I think one of, the, one of the understandings of the leaves is the church. Because from the beginning, God has created human beings to reflect his image. To be his image bearers in this world. And when we, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we live in such a way that we want the Spirit's fruit to come out of us, we actually become agents of healing in this broken, hurting, pain-filled world. We become what Paul writes to the Corinthians, agents of reconciliation. 
We become people who are light in darkness and hope in despair. Because our hearts have been opened to the one who is the great healer. I mean, in essence, what he's really saying here is the true freedom is trusting our freedom to the control of the Holy Spirit. That's how we become agents of healing. That's how we become means of answering our own prayer that the kingdom of heaven would come on earth as it is in heaven. That we trust our freedom to the control of the Holy Spirit because we know who the Spirit of God is. And we know what His designs are for our lives. And so maybe maybe the question that we ought to be asking ourselves is not so much, are you bearing fruit? But maybe a better question would be, what kind of fruit are we bearing? When people see the fruit in our lives, whose image do they see? Father, thank you for your desires for us, for life, fruit, and flourishing. Give us grace, Father, to, to be people who want what you want, that we might experience what you desire for us. We ask this through Jesus. Amen.